Hello, welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell from the University of Saskatchewan. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Emily Snyder to the podcast. Dr. Snyder is a colleague and an assistant professor and bovine clinician in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. Dr. Snyder's main area of research expertise is in preventive medicine, bovine respiratory disease, and antimicrobial resistance. And today, we're going to chat about pneumonia and pre-weaned beef calves. Let's get started. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Before we get into our topic for the day, I'll maybe just ask you to tell the listeners a little bit about your background and uh, what you've been doing the last few years. Right. Thank you. So, uh, yes, um, my name is Emily Snyder, and uh, I've joined uh, the University of Saskatchewan uh, a couple years ago. I've been here a little bit more than two years now, and uh, I graduated from Iowa State University back in 2011 and was in practice for a few years in Iowa and Illinois. Um, After that, I went to the University of Georgia, where I completed a master's and then a PhD with a focus in bovine respiratory disease. Right. And you joined us kind of in the midst of the pandemic, moved up north. So great to have you here in in Canada now. And uh, we want to talk about one of your areas of expertise. We want to talk about respiratory disease, but especially in pre-weaned calves. So let's start by just talking about how common of a problem that is in beef herds. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there have been a number of studies actually uh, looking at the the incidents and surveying producers and veterinarians about how big of a problem it is for them. And a study that was done back a few years ago actually found that one in five uh, U.S. producers report that it is a problem and that it may affect up to 10% of calves. In that same study, they also found that it has been shown to cause death in 0.6 to 1.4% of calves pre-weaning. And so that's kind of been repeated elsewhere. Another study that was completed down at the U.S. Mark Center and Clay Center that looked at herd data over 20 years from greater than 100,000 cattle found that BRD incidents range from 33 to 23.6% with an average incidence of uh, 10.5%. So it can be quite prevalent up to, you know, nearly 25% of calves at times. And so it can represent a fairly significant cause of, of death loss and, and uh, morbidity in pre-weaned animals. Yes, it is a pretty significant problem. And we've done some studies in Western Canada. One of my former graduate students, Dr. Trent Wenekamp, who's been on the podcast previously, did some work and showed almost identical numbers that 19%, I think it was instead of 20%, but 19% of Western Canadian cow-calf producers had reported an outbreak of BRD. And then in a more recent publication that Dr. Waldner and I worked on, was those same Western Canadian herds and about, I think it was 5% of calves that were treated for BRD from that study. And 51% of the herds reported treating at least one calf before two months of age. That didn't mean they had an outbreak, but they, they did report a calf. So it's a very common problem. And there's probably nothing more aggravating than trying to catch those little calves and treating them if they do have respiratory disease. 
So when do we usually see cases of BRD in pre-weaned calves? Um, we tend to see it kind of occurring at two different time points. There's first a kind of an earlier phase that we do see in a period that peaks maybe around 14 to 20 days after birth. And then we'd see a second peak that maybe starts around 100 days or so, kind of continues through about 150 to 160 days. So basically a, a bimodal incidence of, of respiratory disease in that pre-weaning period. Okay, so we see these two spikes in cases, one earlier and one later. Do we have any possible explanations for why those two time periods occur? So um, the thought is that the first spike is probably due to failure or passive transfer occurring in, in the first group of calves. So those calves are not probably receiving adequate quantities of colostrum and adequate amounts of antibodies as a result, and so they're starting to see a spike in that, in that early period. The second spike is thought to be due uh, to a number of different factors, but primarily due to the waning of maternal antibody that starts to occur in that time period. So when we get out here 100 days to weaning time, um, we're starting to see the antibodies that they received from their mother at the time that they nursed and received that colostrum starting to decline. So we know that the half-life of antibodies is about 16 to 20 days. And so by the time we get to that time period, we've basically used up most of those antibodies. And so when we get to that three to four month time period, you see that there's less than 2% of the antibodies they received from their mother at that time left. Uh, BRD and preween calves is one of those disease syndromes that's a really good example of the epidemiological triangle. That's one of those nerdy things that those of us with epidemiology training like to talk about, what are the three components of that epi triangle? Right. So uh, each of those components we like to think of is kind of comprising the different corners of that triangle and, and they interact with each other. So those would be like the agent. So the pathogen would be the simplest way to describe the agent, the host. So that's the actual animal unit. And then the environment, which is obviously the environment, right? But all of these factors work together to contribute, and any problems in any of those areas can contribute to disease. It's easy to think that a bug causes every disease, so a bacteria or a virus causes every disease, but this is a good example where you need this interaction of those three factors. Let's talk about the host factors first, or the calf factors, I guess, in our, our example. What things are involved that makes the calf more susceptible? We've talked about some of them already. Right. So those host factors are usually those that impact host immunity, right? So the immunity of the calf, that the ability of that calf to respond to disease challenge. We know that dystocia is a significant factor that can impact calf immunity. When those calves are born and they've had a difficult birth, they can be hypoxic. That can result in severe respiratory and metabolic acidosis. And we know that those calves that are having that acidosis and that hypoxia are a lot slower to stand and can have a weak or absent suckle reflex. So they're not able to take in that colostrum as early on and as readily as a, a normal born calf. Before you go on, Emily, maybe I'll get you to explain what hypoxia means. It's just low oxygen because they took too long to get born usually? Yes, that's right. So these calves you know, are, are having some difficulty being born. If they're coming out backwards, that can certainly impact their ability to, to get uh, oxygen into their system as easily. And that can affect their ability to stand and nurse later on. Okay. Any other host factors besides dystocia that we should think about? 
Sure. So we we talk about failure of passive transfer, which kind of all all plays into these these uh, factors as well. So if these calves are not getting a good quality colostrum, so colostrum that's coming from maybe a cow that's young and doesn't have a lot of antibodies that she's produced, that can be a, a risk factor that impacts the calf's immunity. If that cow isn't producing adequate quantities of colostrum, maybe because she's on negative energy plane or isn't receiving enough protein in, in the later stages of the gestation, can certainly impact the calf's ability to take an adequate colostrum as well. We know that occasionally we do see some congenital issues, such as cleft palate in the early period that can result in aspiration of milk and then tube feeding too. You know, if we're doing that incorrectly, we can cause some issues with, with basically putting milk into the lungs and causing some pneumonia there too. Let's talk about one of those other factors, the environment. What, what sort of environmental factors can play a role in pre-weaning BRD? Well, we know that in, in calves that are experiencing a lot of stress, so that could be due to weather stress, whether it's you know extreme changes in the environment in terms of rapid temperature changes, those can be very, very stressful on, on calves and impact their immunity as well as wet and very humid weather, lack of shelter and bedding, and obviously extreme cold, which we think about a lot up here during our calving seasons, can impact the calf's ability to have a strong immune system. We know that stress and cold weather can impact cortisol levels, which lead to immunosuppression. We also know that cold weather encourages congregation of calves and animals kind of clustering together, which can facilitate the spread of disease. And it also has an increase in energy demands. And if we're you know, having to keep really warm because there's been a lot of cold weather, we're less able to use that energy to support the immune system. In some of our herds that calve early in the year, they have to use calving barns and things like that to bring pairs inside. Is is ventilation an issue there as well? Absolutely, yes. So lack of airflow is another big factor that can impact the development of, of respiratory disease. Um, if we're not getting adequate airflow and we have a, a lot of you know animals breathing into the same environment, we're kind of increasing the pathogen load in that environment too that can greatly impact their incidence and development of BRD. Okay, let's move to the pathogens or the bugs that cause BRD, the bacteria and viruses. Are they different than what we see in feedlot calves post-weaning? Actually, um, a lot of the same pathogens that we see in post-weaning BRD are involved in in pre-weaning BRD as well. So that would include things like uh, BHV1, which is also known as IBR or red nose. Um, We also see BVD playing a factor in in making some impacts there as well. BRSV, PI3, or some other viruses that can definitely be involved in pre-weaning BRD. In fact, another virus that we think of frequently with these young calves is uh, coronavirus, bovine coronavirus, which we commonly see involved in calfhood diarrhea, but can actually cause respiratory disease as well. And then obviously bacterial pathogens too that we see in feedlot BRD or post-weaning BRD are involved here too. So things like Mannheimia hemolytica, Pasteurella multocida, sometimes even Histophilus can be involved as well. And then we do commonly see mycoplasma playing a role here too. Another one to, to bring up that we don't commonly think about that we can see in young calves sometimes is a, a type of salmonella called Salmonella Dublin that can cause some very severe respiratory disease as well. Yeah, that's a good one to keep in mind. It often 
presents different than we'd expect. It's not just diarrhea that we see with that kind of salmonella. We often see more of a syndrome that looks like respiratory disease, and it could easily be confused as a respiratory disease outbreak. What kinds of clinical signs should producers be looking for to diagnose calves with BRD? We obviously want to catch them early so we can treat them properly. What, what do they need to be looking for? Right. So in these in these very, very young calves, these neonates, you know, they're going to be very depressed and lethargic. And then they're also going to show the typical signs that we see with respiratory disease, which involves a fever, cough, um, and respiratory distress. Calves get a bit older. They seem to be slightly more resilient, but we're still going to see those signs of fever, cough, respiratory distress, so on and so forth that you see in most animals' respiratory disease. So obviously we want to treat these calves. What are some of the challenges associated with treatment and how would veterinarians recommend that we treat these calves that have pre-weaning BRD? So probably the mainstay for most of these is going to be some sort of an antimicrobial treatment. We know that BRD is is multifactorial. Usually there's a a viral insult that's followed by a bacterial insult commonly. And so by using an antimicrobial, we're kind of addressing that that bacterial infection. In very young animals, so I would say animals less than uh, 14 days of age, occasionally a veterinarian may want to do a plasma transfusion to administer some exogenous antibodies from another mature animal to that calf. Okay. And obviously the antimicrobials are only going to help the bacterial part. If there's viral components, the calf's going to have to recover from those on their own. That's right. Let's talk about those risk factors again. Some of these studies that you talked about previously have identified some pretty important risk factors that they've identified that might make a herd more likely to experience cases of BRD. What are some of those risk factors that they've seen? Yeah, so a survey that was done in 2013 in the U.S. found a number of different uh, risk factors specifically that are involved. So obviously failure of passive transfer, that's kind of been an ongoing theme with this conversation that we've been having, but that fa- that is a major one. They also found that large herd size was another factor, diarrhea in calves, and then a winter calving season as well. Finally, introduction of calves from an outside source was another risk factor that they found. And then offering supplemental feed to calves, such as you would in creep feeding, were found to be additional risk factors. So why would creep feeding be a risk factor for BRD? What would be the explanation behind that? Right. So it's thought that basically by creep feeding, we're encouraging calf congregation. And so we're giving them frequently area that's separate from the cows. It might have a bit of extra shelter in addition to feed. And so sometimes the calves may be going in there and hanging out and using the same feeder and spreading respiratory secretions between each other. Right. So it's the fact that we're bringing those calves closer together in a more dense contact rate not the creep feeding itself, but the issue that they might congregate together more. There's another risk factor that's shown up in a number of studies, and that's using artificial insemination programs. Again, it probably has nothing to do with the artificial insemination program. What's going on in those studies? So it's the exactly the same factor. It's it's basically bringing animals together and encouraging congregation so that we're increasing those contacts between animals and 
in a, a more closed environment. And so it's, it's the same thing with, with, with creep feeding, right? We're encouraging animals to be in close contact with each other, and that is facilitating spread of pathogens between animals. We've done some risk factor studies as well in those two papers I was talking about earlier. And in Trent's paper and in Dr. Waldner's paper, we showed that buying adult animals was an important risk factor for BRD, especially if you bought them close to the calving season. Buying bulls was even a risk factor. More, If you bought more bulls, that, that was a risk factor. So I always thought that was interesting that buying adult animals is probably just introducing some new pathogens into your herd and making it more likely to get BRD outbreaks. The other thing that turned up in those studies was pretty similar to the other ones that we saw an increased risk if the herd used community pastures, again, probably just exposure to other calves. And then some of those risk factors of calving heifers and cows together or failure to sort cow-calf pairs out of the calving area, just things that probably reduce the density again. So similar findings in many of those sort of studies too. Another uh, risk factor that I want to bring up too that was found to play a role is that calves born to first calf heifers tend to be at greater risk as well. And that's due to possibly the greater incidence of having a difficult birth. Maybe those first calf heifers don't have the mothering abilities as well. And then maybe less antibodies in their colostrum can also play a role. Well, let's talk about prevention because obviously it would be nicer to prevent this than have it happen in the first place and have to deal with treatment. Focusing on an entire management protocol, I think, is really important here, too, and not just focusing on a vaccine protocol. Ensuring that the dams are receiving adequate nutrition and that those dams are well vaccinated. We know that if our cows are healthy, they're going to produce a higher quality, better colostrum. And if we can vaccinate those cows annually against BRD pathogens, I think it's going to help us ensure that they're more likely to have antibodies against those BRD pathogens present in their in their colostrum as well. Providing these cows with sufficient protein and energy so that they're producing a lot of high quality colostrum as they're approaching calving, I think is another thing we can look at as well. Furthermore, managing the environment, making sure we're providing adequate bedding, shelter, ventilation to those animals so that they're comfortable, that they're not experiencing those environmental stressors can definitely impact their immunity as well. And then potentially looking at different vaccine protocols for the calves can be shown to to be helpful too. We know that newborn calf vaccination in the form of intranasal vaccines can provide some local immunity and prime the immune system for those calves and that there is some benefit to doing that. In addition, making sure that calves are vaccinated in the springtime, we know when they're about two months old, can be helpful as well to protect them against some of these BRD pathogens. So to wrap up, Emily, maybe you could give us some final thoughts about preventing BRD and pre-weaned calves. I've had a bunch of outbreaks that I've dealt with that always seem kind of frustrating because sometimes it seems that they're pretty good herds that are doing most things right. What do we need to think about when we start looking at our own situation if we're having BRD cases? Uh, Sure. So I guess I would keep in mind that really focusing on when these outbreaks are occurring can give you a lot of answers in terms of ways that you can address the problem. So 
remember, as we talked about the two different spikes previously, you know, that earlier spike, if we're seeing that and having issues with that, I think focusing on looking at boosting calf immunity by looking at failure passive transfer, environmental exposure to pathogens is a big is a big step we could take. In terms of the second spike, looking at the causes of that are most likely due to, to waning immunity the calf is has from depletion of its antibodies that received from its mother and looking at the impacts of calf congregation as causes of some of that BRD development, I think is, is a really important key. And then looking at ways that we can impact calf immunity by stepping in prior to that and utilizing respiratory disease vaccinations, I think is is a good thought to end on. Great. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for the advice and for the information and Hope to have you on again at some point in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's the show for this week. Thanks to all of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Emily Snyder. Thanks as always to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. We always appreciate feedback. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, please email us at bchnpodcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time.